Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Well, it is the end of 2016, right? It's not 17 yet. It's the end of the year. I was just doing some research last night. The Bible is on pace to continue its reign at the top as the most published, the most bought, the most read book of all time. And it is that. There's one statistic that we can't look at. The statistic that we can't show or that they won't show is that the most meaningful book of all time is the Bible that most of us have in our hands here today. And so based on that statistic and based on your presence here today in church on a Sunday, I am just going to make a guess and say that the Bible plays probably a pretty important part of your life. Now, how many of you have your Bible here today? Hold it up. Let me see. How many of you have your Bible? If you have it on your iPhone, hold that up, whatever the case may be. How many of you have a Bible here today? Now, here's another question. How many of you have more than one Bible? Can I see your hand? How many of you have more than two Bibles? Can I see your hand? How many of you have more than five Bibles? Okay. How many of you have more than ten Bibles? All right. All right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, hands are even down. I'm ashamed to tell you how many Bibles I have. Uh, I lost count about 25 ago. Anyway, I love Bibles. Uh, how many of you here today have Scripture somewhere printed, either on a t-shirt, a wall decoration, somewhere in your home, or maybe on your person, you have Scripture printed somewhere? Can I see your hand? All right. So most of us here today would all agree that the Bible is a book that is pretty important to us. But let me ask you a question, and I want you to think with me. Why on earth do we value Scripture? Why on earth is Scripture, this sacred book, so important to us? Now, there are many different answers that we could all give. Realistically, the reason that we're here today is we want to explore that question, and that's what we do really every time we come together like this in a preaching event. It's for us to explore why the Bible is so valuable to us. So if you have your Bible here today, would you mind taking and finding maybe a passage that you haven't visited in a while? See, this is the beauty of the preacher. I've already got mine marked. And so mine opens up right to where I want to go. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. So remember where you're at there. It's one of those big prophetic books right there towards the middle. Ezekiel chapter 36. And as we're looking at Ezekiel 36 today, one of the things, and this is not the main thing, but one of the things that we're going to look at as we hear this sermon is why we value Scripture. And like I said, I love what you and I get to do each week. And this is what we all come for. We get to take the Bible, that book that we hold so dear, we get to be reminded of why it is that we really value the book. You see, I'm doing my part as I'm praying and as I'm preaching. And if I'm doing my part as I'm praying and as I'm preaching, then we will together learn that the more we see Scripture as God intends, the more we understand Scripture as He intends, the more rightly we will understand what Scripture is, and then the sweeter Scripture becomes to us. And the richer our understanding of Scripture will be. So, I do what I do, from this position, so that we together, listen carefully, will fall more in love with Jesus. 
And the only way that we can fall more in love with Jesus is if we learn to hear His voice. We learn to recognize His voice. We learn to follow Him. The only way, listen carefully, that you can hear the voice of God is right here. Now I know sometimes we may get different thoughts where we think that we've heard the voice of God, but if we're honest with each other, it may have just been a bad burrito that we had the night before. Who knows? We may have hit some mushrooms that someone hid in our brownies, whatever the case may be. The only way that we can definitively know whether or not we have heard the voice of God is if it accords with thus saith the Lord. Now listen carefully. I wanted us to turn to Ezekiel. We're looking at this series in Oxford. We're trying to determine the way that our Lord was bringing His salvation. We've been studying Matthew. And if you read the first chapter of Matthew, you'll understand that Jesus was preparing the earth to receive Himself. God was preparing the earth to receive King Jesus. And so we looked at the way that He did that in the Old Testament. And so what I've been laboring to do over these three weeks that we've been together, now I think this is the fourth week, is for us to see how the Bible fits together as a whole and for us to see who the Bible is all about. For us to determine what Scripture is about, and really, the climax of Scripture, the thrust of Scripture, what Scripture is about is really not so much a what as a who. And the who is Jesus. And so I wanted us to turn to Ezekiel today, because Ezekiel shows us in a very dramatic way how relentless God is in His pursuit of us. How relentless this God is to make Himself known to us and how amazing His grace is to come to us to find us. To take us from our position of death, to take us away from death, and to bring us to life. And that's really what Ezekiel is all about. Now, How many of you here today, since we're all used to holding our hands up today, how many of you have ever read the book of Ezekiel? Can I see your hands? How many of you that raised your hands and said that you've ever read the book of Ezekiel would say that Ezekiel is a pretty difficult book to understand? How many of you would say that? The first chapter, you know, you have guys saying, well, that's the first description of an airplane. Or you hear this phrase and say, oh, my goodness, what's going on in the first chapter? All these wheels and fire and judgment and dry bones and all. I want to make it real simple here today for us to learn in those difficult passages what it is that we need to look for and who it is that we need to find. And guess what? What and who we need to find is one thing. Jesus. So let's read the Bible together. Ezekiel chapter 36. We'll begin right in the middle of the story in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord today. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be My people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God, let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, the waste places shall be rebuilt, the land that was desolate will be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, This land that was desolate had become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and the desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places, replanted that which was so desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Thus saith the Lord God this also. I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so that the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Would you pray with me today? Father, we today desire to hear your voice, but to hear your voice clearly today. We love you, we are desperate for you, and we humbly ask you to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you, dear friends, what we just read is the reason that you and I value Scripture. What we just read and what we get to look at today is one of the most significant and the most extravagant passages in all the Bible. This is the cream of the crop. This tells the story of why it is that we value Scripture because Scripture tells the story of this God who loved us despite our own sinfulness, who is ready to then come and save us, to make us His very own. The whole heartbeat of God is that is described in this passage that we would be His people and that He would be our God. So this passage right here is one of the most significant passages in all the Bible. But think about that just for a moment. Why do we say such things? Why do we say that this passage is one of the most significant passages? Isn't every passage of Scripture significant? Well, sure it is. And this passage is to remind us of just how significant every passage is. You see, all through the Bible, there are passages that are scattered all through this that, that God gives us. And He gives us those things to make sure that you and I don't just come to the Bible and make it say anything that we want it to say. 
We don't want to come to the Bible and value the Bible because we necessarily like it. We want to value the Bible because of what it is. So all through the Bible, there are passages like this that God gives us so that we will make sure that we are reading the story the way that He wants us to read the story. And we will be able to see without a shadow of a doubt what is His plan for all the rest of us. So when we say the Bible is important, we mean just that. That the Bible is important to us. Okay? The Bible is what shapes us. We don't shape the Bible. We don't twist Scripture to make it say what we want it to say. We don't take things out of context. We want it to be over us. Listen carefully. We love the Bible more than we love our ideas about the Bible. Does that make sense? Hopefully that does. So the Bible then stands as the authority. Our ideas about the Bible are not the authority. If our ideas about the Bible contradict what the Bible says, you know what that means? Well, we change the Bible, right? No. We change our ideas about the Bible. So the Bible then stands as the authority. And so this book here really is a glorious book. It's a book that tells us this great story, which is what we just read a little bit of, in Ezekiel chapter 36, this story of a God of love who benevolently created you and I so that we would worship Him and obey Him. And then the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of His glory. The Bible says that instead of worshiping and obeying God, we chose to worship and obey ourselves. We chose to let our own thoughts be what it is that guides us. And as a result of that, death came to us. But the good news, which is what we just read here in Ezekiel chapter 36, the good news is that despite the sinfulness of you and I, God still loves us. And God still has a plan for us. If we will turn to Him. The Bible says that if we would turn to Him, then we would live. You see, God created you this morning. He created you to have fellowship with Himself. And God is purposefully set to fulfill His purpose of fellowship for you. You see, this book right here that you have in your hand, I hope that the reason you value this book is because this book is a story of salvation. It's a story of a people who need saving. But here's the thing. I love the Bible. It shows us our great needs. And it shows us that there is a God in heaven who not only can meet our needs, but can overwhelm our needs with His very presence. He can overwhelm our needs with how beautifully perfect He is. Romans says it this way, and I've been saying it the whole time in this series, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Sin was great, but God's grace is greater. If you and I would simply turn to Him and embrace the free offer of life that He gives us. And so, this is why we have books like Ezekiel. This is why we have books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Now, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all these guys, these books are named after real people. These guys were people who were sent with a message from God to the nation of Israel. The message that they had to the people of Israel was that you were created for more. More than just your run-of-the-mill routine life. More than just trying to earn a check and uh, live a a good life so that you can die and somebody says something nice about your funeral, those kind of things. You're meant 
this morning for more than that. And the good news is that prophets like Ezekiel were sent here to tell us that. Sent here with a message to a people who are pursuing their own selves, thinking that that's what it means to live. And these prophets come sort of like a burr in the saddle and sometimes, sort of like the, uh, you know, uh, sand in somebody's eye, comes and says, you were meant for more than this. Get out of the rut. Get out of the routine. And learn what it means to truly live. And so, God sends these prophets to His people to remind them that there is a God in heaven who has determined, has made up His mind to save a people who are desperately in need of saving. And what does He do? He takes us from where we are and brings us to where He is. He saves us. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you were created for more. Created to enjoy eternal fellowship with God. And here's what the Bible promises. That until you find God, you can try to fill your life with anything else. It can be the best thing. It can be a good salary. It can be being a good father, a good husband, a good wife, a good mother, grandmother, whatever the case may be. A good volunteer, whatever. But unless you know Jesus, you're going to continue to spin in circles. Because you were created for more. Augustine, a guy who wrote a long time ago, for those of you who know me know that I read a lot of dead guys, uh, Augustine, he said this, God has made us for Himself. And our hearts are absolutely restless until we find our rest in God. And so today from this passage that details a salvation that the Lord is bringing, I want to give you just two truths about this God who moves heaven and earth so that we'll be His. Two truths this morning as we open the Scriptures, as we listen to hear this Word from God, Two truths this morning so that we will learn why it is that we should value Scripture in such a great way. And here's the summation of it all. We were created for more. We were created to be His people. And God has moved heaven and earth to make us His people. Number one this morning from this passage. Now listen closely. Because you're going to write this down as it comes on the screen. And automatically, just by the way that this is written, some of you, I'm going to guess because we have a a crowd this size here today, some of you are automatically going to have a problem with one of the words. Number one this morning, God is a jealous God. Now let's think about that for just a minute. The fact that there's a God is awesome, isn't it? Aren't you glad that there is truly a God in heaven? There is truly a God that exists. But the fact that God not only exists, but the Bible says not only does He exist, but He loves. And not only does He just love arbitrarily, He loves us. There's a God. This God loves. That's amazing. And this God has created you and I so that you and I would have fellowship with Him. You were created for one purpose. That you would know God. And so what does this mean? It means that if you are to have life, then living involves a relationship. And so what it truly means to live is this, knowing God. There is no life outside of knowing God. Matter of fact, the Bible puts it in terms like this. 
Not knowing God is death. Now, the Bible tells us the reason that death entered the world. Now, no one likes death, especially this time of the year. Here we are at Christmas. No one enjoys even thinking about death. Seems like a lot of people die around Christmas time. That's the time that no one wants to think about heartache and death. But the Bible tells us that the reason that death has entered into the picture. Never think out there, never think, for those of you who are listening this morning to my voice, never think out there that death is just a natural part of life. Death is not the way things are intended to be. And this is the reason God has sent His Son. To undo death. And so, not knowing God, the Bible calls that death. So we have this God in heaven who loves. We have this God in heaven who exists. We have this God in heaven who loves. We have this God in heaven who desires for us to know Him. And then we have this God who the Bible paints a picture of this God being a jealous God. And the reason that He's jealous, listen carefully, is for your sake. It's for my sake, so that we would know Him. He is jealous for His own namesake, mainly because there's no one greater than Him. Now, if there's anyone qualified who can be jealous this morning, you know who it is? It's God Almighty. Because there is no one as matchless and perfect and holy and righteous and just as He is. Now, think about this. We first hear this phrase that God is a jealous God in Exodus. And this is important for us to think about because when God first tells us that He is a jealous God, He has just delivered His people from Egypt. Remember what Egypt was? Egypt was a place where there was a lot of gods. There were people who worshipped all kinds of gods. The God of the Nile, the God of the sun, the God of the desert, the God of the sand. Every god had the God of the bugs, the cows, the crickets. Every, every uh, And that's, uh, of course, speaking hyperbolically, but of course there was a God for almost everything. And so God calls His people out of this. And then as a result of that, He takes them up on a mountain and gives them the Ten Commandments. While he's giving those Ten Commandments, this is where he tells them that he's a jealous God. So if you were to think about the Ten Commandments, and if you were to look at them closely, if we were to put them up here on a, on a list, the Ten Commandments deal in two dimensions. They deal vertically with our relationship with God, and then they deal horizontally with our relationship with one another. The commandments start with a declaration, and they set the tone for the entire rest of all that comes. It starts by saying this, I am the Lord thy God. And then the first one, of course, is you shall have no other gods before me. Then the second, of course, is don't make any graven images. Then the third, don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. And then fourth, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So all of those commandments have to do with our relationship with God. And it's in the midst of those commandments that God tells us that He is a jealous God. And that God will not give His glory to another. Sometimes when we hear that God is a jealous God, we think about our own experience. Maybe you're here today and you've had a jealous lover who was a little overbearing, whatever the case may be, and so you think about that term jealousy and all the negative connotations with that. You think outside the realms of what this passage means. Listen, here's what it means when we say that God is jealous. Listen closely. God is jealous and He pursues His people so that you and I will have life. Because outside of God, there is no life. And so the fact that God is jealous is a good thing for you and I. If God was not jealous, 
and loving, it would mean that He could care less whether or not we know Him or not. But because God loves us, not only does He love us, He is jealous for His love. And so He desires for us to live, and He will go to great lengths to show us how much He loves us. Think about it for just a moment. Think about this. If God exists, then there's only one way that you and I can know Him. The only way that you and I can know who God is is by His own self-declaration. He has to reveal Himself to us. He has to make Himself known to us. In other words, if God does not make Himself known to us, we will not know Him. And so how does God make Himself known? Well, He does it two ways. One way that He does it is through prophets in various times and in many ways. He has spoken through the Bible. But the other way that He's chosen to make Himself known is through His Son. And listen carefully. God chooses to make Himself known for one reason. He doesn't have to make Himself known. We could it just be some big mystery as how do we know God? And by the way, this is why Christians, we need to stand very firm on this. If this is who God is, then there's not many ways to God. It's not this whole idea that what you see in a lot of hospital chapels that say that you know you have a copy of the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, all these other religious texts, and then there's the Bible in the midst of them. L- listen carefully. There's only one way to God. And it's through Jesus Christ. So you and I have to be very clear about this. That God loves us with a jealous God. Desires to make Himself known. And because He has made Himself known in a definitive sense by giving us His Son. In a definitive sense by giving us Holy Scripture. Because God desires for Himself to be known, He has made Himself known. And the reason that He has made Himself known is only for one reason. is that He loves us with a jealous love. And He will not allow our love to be spent anywhere else. Because He knows that if we spend our love anywhere else, then it's not really love at all. No one here today wants to waste your time. All of us here today are pursuing something. Maybe that something is nothing. I understand, but maybe most of us, I'm just going to guess, we're all pursuing something. No one wants to come at the end of your life to look back at your life, all of this stuff that you think that you've gained and it really amounts to nothing. No one wants to do that. Listen carefully. God doesn't want you to do that either. So He's made it very clear. The way that you know Him is one way. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. The reason that He has let Himself be known to us is because He is a jealous God who loves us with a jealous love and He will not let us give our love to another. Look at verse 22 in Ezekiel chapter 36. Look at verse 22. Look at what it says. He says this. He will save His people for one reason. Look at it here. In verse 22. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of My holy name. Now, let's go back just for a moment. Let's look at verse 16 through 21. Look at what it says We have a therefore in verse 22, which means that we have to go back. So look at verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. When the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. 
Their ways before me were like the uncleanliness of a woman. And uh, because we have young ones here today, you can read the rest of that passage. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land for the idols, and they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord. And they had gone out from this land. Look at verse 21. So you see the picture where we're going? Everything is chaos. Israel has defiled the God who loves them with a jealous love. Look at verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, it is not for your sake that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. That name, by the way, he says in verse 22, is the one that you profane. So look at this. We didn't deserve His love. That's the picture. This is where the Bible does to us. This is where we all are met on the same common ground. We do not deserve His love. But because of His great love, not because of our greatness, not because we deserved it, but because of who He is, because of His great love, He has saved us. And why did He do it? It wasn't because of anything that we have done, but the reason that He had saved us is one reason. It's because of who He is. Listen carefully. Why does God save us? Simple answer. He chooses to do it. Why does God save us? Because for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, God chooses and desires to love us. Listen carefully to this. He saves us because He wants to. Not because we deserve it, but because of who He is. And He has gone to great lengths to demonstrate for us His love. He has gone to great lengths to make a way for us to respond to Him so that we would receive His love. Number two this morning, God has gone to great lengths. He has miraculously made us His very own. And look at this. The way that God gives us life is by causing us to know Him. And the way that He causes us to know Him is the good news of the Gospel. He does so in a very intimate way. And if we were to go back this morning and we were to remember what He did in the beginning with when He breathed into the nostrils of man and man became a living being, if we remember that language, you, you have this image here of God bending down almost as close as a kiss, breathing into the nostrils, and so man became a living being. But it's with even more intimacy and care than that. Will He go and remake us? Will He go and redeem us? Will He go and make us His very own? This is what Romans 5 is all about. And if you're writing notes, and write that in the margin, Romans 5. Here's what Romans 5 says, that someone will scarcely even die for a righteous person. Romans 5 says, while we were unlovable, basically. While everyone else had cast us aside, some would deem us as unredeemable. The Bible says God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not as if He saw us and you know we had our Sunday best on and we approached the pearly gates and said, oh God, I am so ready to get in this place. No, no. The best that we could do, the Bible says, 
is nothing more than a filthy rag. But here's the good news. That while the rest of the world deemed us unworthy, while we were sinners, incapable of saving ourselves, there was a God in heaven who was jealous for His own name, jealous for His own glory. And He, not out of necessity, but just because He wanted to, chose to save you. Chose to take, and this is what we sing, right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, crawling around in the gutters of life. But now, I'm found. Was blind, but it's now that I see. And why did He do that? Amazing grace is the only answer that we can give. Look at the text here beginning in verse 24. And if we had time this morning, I would have you mark down every I that's here. You should do that in your own time as you read chapter 36 and 37. Mark down every time God, personal pronoun, I, is there. He says, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to do something for you. It's beyond your wildest imagination. It's beyond anything that you could ever desire. Look at verse 24. Look at what he says here. This is so beautiful. I will take you. I will take you from all the nations and I'm going to gather you. By the way, do you hear any language there of Jesus standing on the hill and saying, Oh Israel, you who killed the prophets that I would gather you like a mother hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling. What's he talking about? He's talking about this passage in God's desire. He's saying, I will gather you and I will bring you into your own land. And then look at the intimacy here. Verse 25. This is the Methodist version, right? Because if it was the Baptist version, it would be I would baptize you with water, not sprinkle, right? Look at what it says here though. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. Look at this. You shall be clean. After I sprinkle you with clean water, you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And then look at verse 26. This is important. Don't miss this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'm going to put within you. Not only that, I'm going to remove that heart of stone that you have that causes you to stray from Me. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And then look at verse 27. Remember what God said in Genesis chapter 6, My spirit shall not always dwell with man, but his days will be 120 years. Look at verse 27 here. I will put my spirit within you. And because of that, you will walk in my statutes and you will be careful to obey my rules. And then the rest of the passage says, you're going to dwell in safety in the land. You're going to lie down in green pastures. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil. Basically. That's what the entire passage says. So what does all this mean? Very quickly and very purposefully. You know what it means? It means you must be born again. God must take you and remake you, remold you and make you His very own. And this is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 3. You remember? He's having this conversation with Nicodemus and this guy comes to him and says, you must be one from God because nobody does what you do unless God's with him. And then what does Jesus say to him in John 3? He says, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus says, what do you mean be born again? How can a man who's old enter his mother's womb for the second time? How can he go through all of this? And then what did Jesus say to him? Listen to what he says. 
John chapter 3 and verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Listen carefully. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I will put my spirit within you. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from and where it goes. So that is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And Jesus said, you're a teacher and you don't understand these things? Listen to what he says here in John chapter 3 and verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water? What's he talking about being born of the water? He's talking about baptism? Well, maybe. But probably, you know what he's talking about? Ezekiel 36. Where God says, I will take you and I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will take your heart out and put a new one in you. And then after that, you're going to wake up. You're going to be a new person. Salvation is nothing more than a miracle. And I hope you understand that. If you're saved this morning... It's nothing short of a miracle. See, here's the thing today. Everyone's talking about where Jesus said greater things than you will do. And we read the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts on Wednesday night. And we see all these great things happening where people getting healed. And all of these things. People with the blind receiving their sight. And people are wondering, looking around, saying, where's all the miracles at today? And they forget the greatest miracle there is. It's when God transfers someone from death to life, when they go from not seeking God to seeking Him with all of their heart. That's the greatest miracle that there is. Salvation is nothing more than a miracle where God takes us from where we are, far from Him, pursuing our own death. And then He takes us from the grave. And He makes us His very own. And listen carefully. The way that He does it is not by some distance standing away from us. The way that He makes us His very own is by coming to us personally. This is why Christmas is such a big deal. Because it's the moment in time where God began to make all things new through sending the Son. And why does He do this? One reason. All so that we can be His people and that He can be our God. You see, He renews us He gives us a heart of obedience. And then, just very quickly, we don't have time this morning, but very quickly, look at what happens in the next passage. Ezekiel chapter 36 is followed by Ezekiel chapter 37. And you know what Ezekiel 37 is about? One word starts with an R. Has an E in it and a couple of S's. Resurrection. Resurrection. The hope that we have is resurrection. Oh, the day when freed from sinning. Isn't that the cry of your heart this morning? Don't you get tired of going through the same old routines of trying to please God to live the life that He wants you to live and falling prey? Your body is still longing for redemption. And listen carefully this morning. God is bringing that redemption to you. And He will bring it to all of us. Paul says it this way. He says it. we may not all die, but every one of us are going to be changed. The moment in the twinkling of an eye where God takes our old flesh and gives us new flesh. But whose flesh does He give us? Not our own. He gives us the flesh of one who came. Who took our flesh. 
lived a sinless life in our sinful flesh, let that sinful flesh die on a cross, and then He rose again. For one reason. Listen. One reason. For you. So that you and me could know what it means to live. Because He has done this. The Bible says that He is ready and willing and able to save those to the uttermost. Those who trust in Him. Oh, you remember the story, right? Here Martha is. Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, is dead. They call for Jesus and Jesus for whatever reason doesn't come. Well, we know the reason because we've read the story. But you know the story, right? Jesus comes to the scene. People are weeping everywhere. Lazarus is dead in the tomb. Jesus says, take the stone away. Martha says, no, no, Jesus. I love the King James. He stinketh, right? He's in the grave dead. He stinks. Don't, oh, no, no. Yeah, we're, we're sad, but hey, whatever you do, there's something worse than this that's going to make us real sad. Don't remove the seal. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And then He looked at Martha and then He said, do you believe this? And you know what He did for Lazarus? He stood outside that grave of that man who stinks. And He said, Lazarus, come forth! And guess what happened? Lazarus was dead in the grave. But because Jesus was there, He came out of that grave alive. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that Jesus has come to bring us. This is why we love the Bible so much. One reason. Because we love Him. And let me ask you this morning. Who else can create something from nothing? Who else can take all the events of time, bring them to a head, and to that head is everything that He wants. Everything that He desires. Who else this morning has the power to raise the dead? And listen carefully. Who on earth belong to this One who can create something from nothing? Who can raise the dead? Make all things new? Take all the events in history and make whatever He desires come about. Who are His people? The answer is anyone, whosoever, calls upon the name of the Lord is His people. All those who trust in Him are His. So this morning, as every head bowed and as every eye is closed, as we begin to go into our time of invitation as you're sitting there thinking about Ezekiel 36, thinking about the reason you love the Scriptures, thinking about that only those who trust in Him are His, allow the Lord to search your own heart this morning. And you know if you're here today, and only you know, but it's just between you and God, you know whether or not you trust you may say, Pastor, I, I don't know if I trust Him or not. Just trust Him.
If you don't believe this morning, but you want to believe, just cry out to Him and say, Lord, I want to believe. Help me where I don't believe. You may be here this morning and you say, I want to trust Jesus. Would you, before we pray, just cry out to Him and say, Oh God, thank You for loving me. And then would you ask Him to save you? Would you ask Him to make you His very own? Trust in the God who loves you. Trust in the God who has the power to raise the dead. And trust that He'll save you. And Father, in Jesus' name, we come to You. Thank You that You are a God of great salvation. A God of great love. A God who has moved heaven and earth to make us Your very own. Lord, help us to learn to love You even more. For some of us, Lord, that may mean that for the first time today, we made up our mind to love You. We responded to Your free offer of grace. Others in here, Lord, we may have loved You for a long time, but may we all here today say the same thing, Lord, I want to love You more. Help us, O oh God. Thank You for bringing Jesus to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.